All right, Sixers fans, welcome to a new episode of Sixers Daily. I'm your host, Jazz Kang. Before we jump into things, don't forget, subscribe to the Liberty Ballers Podcast Network. You can catch us wherever you get your fix. Always appreciate a five-star review as well. And also check us out at libertyballers.com. Joining me for this one after the Sixers drop yet another game in Miami, now down 0-2, coming back to Philly, is Mr. Wes Goldberg. Wes covers the heat for the Locked On Podcast Network. Wes, first off, when you're looking at this series, and especially knowing that Joel Embiid wasn't going to be available, over the first two games, have they went as you expected them to? They have for the most part. Um, I think going into the series, knowing that the Sixers were going to be without Joel Embiid, uh, you know, the big thing was, wow, how can the Sixers survive without Joel Embiid? And I think my big takeaway after the first two games is, wow, they really can't survive without Joel Embiid, right? And it's not uh, a huge, you know, breaking news type of takeaway, but it it it's pretty alarming just how shallow the Sixers are when they don't have their top guy. It's a top-heavy team, we know that. But, um, you know, they're getting a little bit from James Harden. Tyrese Maxey had a really nice game, too. Um, but, yeah, I, 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 I have a hard time seeing how things change dramatically unless Joel Embiid comes back for them. Why, Wes, why has the Heat been able to just smother the Sixers overall? I mean, looking at the game plan, we heard Coach Spo say yesterday during the broadcast, basically create a wall when James Harden is getting towards the paint. And he's clearly been lacking in bursts, not only during his regular season with the Sixers and into the playoffs, also saw a bit of those issues against Brooklyn as well. But when you're looking at how the Heat have defended the Sixers, why have they been able to be so successful at not only cutting off Harden's drives, but really forcing the Sixers into putrid outside shooting. I mean, you look at the eight and thir- eight of 30 in game two, going back to game one, the Sixers only connected on six of 34 attempts. So why has Miami just been so successful, given the fact that it is such a good defensive team already, but especially in slowing down the Sixers so far over the first two games? Well, the first thing to keep in mind is that they just did this to Trey Young in the first round, right? And so they kind of roll into the second round saying, you know what, we just did this. Uh, to one all-star guard, let's just do this to another all-star caliber guard. Um, and the game plan has been very much the same. Every time James Harden gets a screen, they they double the ball, right? And sometimes with Harden, they'll even put three on the ball there and trap him uh, high up after the screen. And again, it's the same sort of thing that they were doing with Trey Young, just these aggressive attacks on the ball and things like that. And uh, Harden just doesn't have the same burst that he once had. That step back isn't as reliable as it once was. And so he doesn't have sort of these, you know, alternate ways to get out of those situations. And so, yeah, they're forcing the ball out of his hands. Um, I wouldn't, you mentioned that they've been kind of forcing them into, to you know, bad three-point shooting. I actually thought the Sixers got some pretty decent looks in game two that they just missed. But you're living with, like, Niang and and Danny Green the way that he's been playing lately and Matisse Thybulle and these guys sort of uh, getting those wide open looks because you don't really you're not scared of those guys right and so um, without Joel Embiid there the Heat have obviously made the decision of all right well Joel Embiid's already out and so all we have to do now is cut off the head of the snake and they believe that of the snake to be James Harden while Embiid is not there it's clear that they're going to let Tobias Harris get his. It's even clear that they're not even that scared of Tyrese Maxey, 
right? Like they're going to let him get 32 points and still blow out the Sixers as long as James Harden is being inefficient and limited. And so they're just saying they've basically decided let's just take Harden out. Joel Embiid is already out and we're not scared of any other guy on the 76ers to beat us. Yeah. And they've just been able to, to take advantage of the lack of depth that we've seen with the Sixers. I mean, you're looking at the, at the bench guys, like you mentioned, George Niang, he's only made one out of 10, three point attempts. Danny green obviously struggled big time in, in yeah. game two, going one to nine there. Uh, looking at this now, Kyle Lowry, we don't know yet when or if he's going to be back, but how much, I mean, I know he's already a, a great player, you know what I mean? Potentially a future Hall of Famer, given his resume, but you're looking at if he is able to return to the series, how much of a boost will that give Miami? I think it's going to be a huge one. Um, I think they've missed Kyle Lowry actually quite a bit in this series, especially when it comes uh, to getting points in transition. Miami has basically generated all of their points out of the pick and roll with either Tyler Hero or Jimmy Butler. They're staggering those two while Kyle Lowry is out uh, running pick and roll with Bam out of bio. And that's basically the entire offense right now. And I know that Philly doesn't have their best defender on the court right now, that they're a little bit weak on that end without Joel Embiid. And when I say a little bit, uh, that's an understatement. A lot of it weak. <laughs> yeah. uh, worst defensive rating in the league uh, without Joel Embiid. So... Um, you know, it might not matter, but if the Sixers and Doc Rivers do figure something out here, um, and there are a couple indicators, uh, that are a little troubling if you're the heat, like they're really relying on the mid range and the three point shot, they're getting really open looks from three point range. So I don't know if it's a problem, but they did shoot what 46% or something like that from three point range in game two. So, um, you'd like to get to the paint a little bit more, like to get a little bit easier buckets here and there. But, um, all of that said, Jimmy Butler has really had to take on a playmaking type of role with Kyle Lowry out. When you have Kyle Lowry back in, and Jimmy Butler's talked about this, when when he's playing alongside Lowry, he's able to just go be a scorer. And that was such a big difference maker for Miami in the in their round one series against Atlanta. If you've got Lowry back, now you've got Jimmy Butler, who's averaging just 18 and a half points on 15 and a half shot attempts in, in the first two games of this series back into being a scoring role where, you know, in the, in round one, he was averaging 30 points a game. Right. And so um, if you've got Lowry, you have maybe a, now another option offensively in getting Jimmy Butler to be more focused on being a score. Plus, like I said, all the transition stuff that Kyle Lowry gives you with the hit aheads and the transition buckets and the fast break stuff, all the things that we know Lowry uh, is so capable of doing. Um, you add that extra layer onto Miami's offense too. So right now, I think that the heat, are theoretically solvable. Again, I don't know if the Sixers have the personnel to even solve it, but as long as Bam Adebayo is just jumping over DeAndre Jordan and getting uh, foul calls on Paul Reed, like it might not matter, but um, it would give them just another layer of offense for sure. Yeah, and looking at how the Heat have been able to play against against the Sixers, especially attacking on the offensive end, West, like seeing... Jimmy Butler being guarded by Furkan Korkmaz. I mean, honestly, that's such a mis mismatch, you know, and it, and it doesn't matter if it's in the in the playoffs, on the playground, or in a in a preseason game. But seeing the ease that the Heat have been able to get some penetration, getting into the paint every single time, is is this what Miami's been like throughout the season? Like, how have for people who maybe didn't follow the Heat as much throughout the eighty two games, looking at how they're playing now, what has been their bread and butter throughout the season, and especially at the offensive end where like you mentioned, you have Jimmy Butler, who is a top-level guy. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a top-10 talent and like a complete closer that you're used to with guys like you know Giannis, Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. I don't think he's at that level. But yeah. just given how deep the Heat are, right? Like you got P.J. Tucker, 
You mentioned Bam. Guys nobody had heard of a couple of years ago. Gabe Vincent, Max Struess. You know what I mean? Like coming out of nowhere. Yeah. How, how have the Heat been able to take advantage of their offensive sets and really, like you mentioned, abusing the Sixers team that has the worst defensive rating in the playoffs? They might be the most versatile offense in the NBA, the Miami Heat. And I'm not, that doesn't mean that they're the best offense in the NBA. They certainly have their issues, right? They don't have your sort of top-level A1 closer like you were talking about, and I agree with that. But they just they can beat teams in so many different ways offensively. I mean, Jimmy Butler, it was the Jimmy Butler series against the Hawks, right? He just, all right, which one of these small Atlanta guards am I going to take on a switch and then bully in the post? And we're just going to do that for five games. And that's what the Heat did. Um, Jimmy Butler has been more of a facilitator uh, in this series, and it's basically been the Tyler Hero and Bam Adebayo show against the Sixers with just pick and roll after pick and roll after pick and roll. A lot more of like that sort of traditional high pick and roll that we see so much of across the rest of the league. Um, the Heat don't really play that way as much as they have, like typically as much as they have against Philly, but they have the personnel to tilt their offense in that direction when it calls for it. Um Sometimes it is a lot of just drive and kick with Tyler, Jimmy, or Kyle Lowry to their shooters like Max Struess, Duncan Robinson when he's playing. They haven't even really used him in any real minutes in the series. Gabe Vincent, Caleb Martin, like all these guys have been really great from three-point range. P.J. Tucker from the corners um, all season long. And when they want to lean into that, they could certainly do that. I think you know a stat that I don't know that a lot of people are aware of is that the Heat actually led the league and three-point shooting percentage in the regular season. And they have, like, this reputation of not being a great three-point shooting team because they don't have, like, the three, like, the names from three-point range that you're – like, they don't have anybody with the last name Curry, right? But they do have really capable shooters, and they have guys, more importantly, capable of getting them shots, including Bam Adebayo, who's such a threat uh, from a, a, facil a facilitating standpoint out of the low block. So um, they just can come in waves, right? Like – You've got Tyler Hero can just go off. You know, he's usually going to go off twice a game, right? At one point in the first half and one point in the second half. Bam Adebayo will score like three straight buckets and start getting to the foul line at some point in the game. Jimmy Butler will start doing the same thing at some point in the game. We saw in game two, Victor Oladipo has like a two and a half minute spurt where he looks like the best player on the floor. And then you've got like other things like Gabe Vincent will just make two threes in a row or Max Struess will, will go off for like nine straight points in a minute and a half. Like, they've just got guys that can just come at you in waves. And over the course of 48 minutes, it it, it will overwhelm lesser opponents. And so uh, the Heat's, to your point, the Heat's strength is their depth, but it's also how they utilize that depth and how they can manipulate a game and kind of how Eric Spolstra will just, uh, you know, he'll pull different lever levers and hit different buttons throughout the course of the game to get his guys in the best position to succeed and uh and you got to give the coaching staff a lot of credit too for how they've managed to do that to this point yeah definitely one one of the best in the league and and you know coach Spo obviously winning a couple of titles there during the lebron era uh carrying that over and, and again even when the heat were struggling pat riley and and the front office there has not went away from mm -hmm. coach Spo. so we see how how good he has been you mentioned a specific player in tyler hero was great in game one 25 points on fire in game two especially in the first half the Sixers started to double team him and trap him right away, coming coming off picks and and really taking the ball out of his hands. When you're looking at Game Three in Philly coming up on Friday, how do you think the Heat will try and adjust to that to get Hero some more open looks, especially given the fact, like I said, that he was being swarmed a lot by the Sixers in the second half after making that adjustment? You know, I actually think they're happy with that. If Tyler is still making the the plays out of those traps um, from a passing perspective. 
then I think they'll live with it. Um, you know, if you're getting lobs to bam or you're getting open jumpers for some of the role players, uh, that's been one of the bigger uh, ways that Tyler Hero has improved over the course of this season is that playmaking. Um, and I think earlier in the year, it flummoxed him. You put two on him coming off of a screen, and sometimes he would be really indecisive and he didn't really have the vision or the instincts to get the ball out to his teammates. But that's definitely gotten better. I think it's the right way to go if you're Philly. Right. Just make it because it's still not he's still not a natural passer in that respect. But uh, even though he has gotten better, but I think that's probably the way you go. Um, there's things you can do. It, like I said, I think if you're the heat, you live with it because it just opens up so much of what the other guys can do. Um, but uh, if it does become a problem, there's things that you could do. We've seen them run Tyler off of double staggered screens and things like that just to give him a little bit more space, get him the ball on the move as opposed to. Uh, uh, like I said, running that basically straight high pick and roll with Bam, it's just that's it's predictable. It's been effective, but it's predictable, and it's very easy to trap off of that ac action. Um, there's other ways to maybe get him on the move with Iverson cuts and double staggered screens and things like that instead of starting plays with him, basically having Jimmy Butler or Victor Oladipo or Gabe Vincent bring the ball up and then get Tyler Hero the ball on the move. That's one thing that they could do if it becomes a problem. But like I said, for now, as long as he's making plays out of those situations, I think they're okay with it. Wes, I want to jump into a couple more things, including a possible Joel Embiid return and what that would mean for this series, especially coming up in Game 3. We'll do that after a short break. All right, and we're back. Wes, we were talking a little bit there about Tyler Hero before the break and, and jumping into Joel Embiid. We don't know yet, hasn't been fully cleared, although Doc did say that he FaceTimed with Joel before the game on Wednesday, basically said that he's he is getting a little bit better. Uh, Chris Haynes reported during the broadcast that Joel able to actually look at his phone properly was having some issues there with, with the brightness of it, uh, given the fact that he had a concussion and the orbitable issue. But now looking at this right now, let's say Joel is cleared for game three, already dealing with that torn ligament in his right thumb. Now coming off the effects of a mild concussion, possibly having to wear the mask, although I, I don't say possibly, I think that's a pretty strong thing that's you know strong uh idea that that is going to happen if he's in the lineup but looking at at his impact on his return west how much do you think that shifts the series and and if he does come back how worried are you from a heat perspective that uh oh how are we going to contain this guy well i mean i think it would shift the series pretty dramatically right uh you're getting maybe the mvp of the league the scoring champion of the league back into the mix and not only what the Sixers could do offensively with him, but also defensively. He just covers up so much of the issues that we were talking about earlier. Um, my I, Look, I think most people going into this series thinking that Joel Embiid was healthy had either the Heat or the Sixers in seven, but had this series going seven games. Um, now, with if you get Joel Embiid back in game three or game four, it becomes a closer series, right? It, it's, mm -hmm. it becomes back, it gets back to what we were sort of thinking as far as two evenly matched teams. But now the Heat are basically handicapped two games, right? You're just basically giving them two games out of the gate here before Embiid comes back, or maybe even three games, depending on when he comes, uh, when Embiid returns. But, um, I, and so I guess, uh, even if they, <laughs> it just becomes really hard for Philly to win four of the next five or three of the next, or four of the, four of the next four or whatever it is. It's just like, that's really, really difficult. And so I know, I don't even know that it even matters at this point. It might be too little too late. You know, uh, we're probably not at that point yet. We still haven't played any games in Philadelphia, but if Miami wins game three um, and you know, the way doc rivers was talking about uh, Joel Embiid at, at practice today, um, it didn't really sound like Joel Embiid is coming back for game three, 
Um, but if even if he does come back, it, I can't imagine him being anywhere close to 100%, right? Like you said, he's going to be wearing a mask. Uh, this has happened to him before. He really hated wearing the mask, um, but he's he doesn't really have a choice. Um, he's still dealing with the thumb injury. Like, this is a guy who's just, like, has body parts just falling off of him right now. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It, like, he's not going to be 100%. Uh, and so I can't imagine that at least at first it's going to make I don't think you can have high expectations right away. Now, I might be proven wrong, and Joel Embiid's awesome, um, and I would love to see him back in this series at 100%, but um, I just find a hard time, find it, you know, I have a hard time believing that that's going to be so. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think if you're the Heat, you have to game plan for it. They've seen Joel Embiid before. It's not new to them. Uh, but I also think if you're the Heat, you've been playing so well. I think you just got to keep doing what you've been doing. Um, have your plan for Joel Embiid, adjust if you have to, but just keep doing what you've been doing. And I think that that should probably work for them. Wes, and like you mentioned, we don't know yet, you know, at the time of this recording, we haven't heard any news either way, whether Joel is going to be able to play in game three, but if he is in the lineup, how do you anticipate the heat would try and defend him? Do you, do you just kind of stick bam on him? Who's obviously a great defender in his own right and say, Hey, you know what, go ahead and take him one-on-one. We're not going to really do some extra stuff. Maybe, employing a, a similar system to what the Raptors did, which is jump him right away as soon as he catches the ball, whether that's on the block or the high post. How do you think Coach Spo would, would draw things up and change things on the defensive end if Joey's in the lineup for, for game three? Yeah, I think they'll they'll play Bam one-on-one with Joel Embiid to start possessions, but it, they'll show him a lot of different looks. I think you would see them jump uh, Joel early, uh, speci- especially because the Sixers haven't been shooting the ball well from the perimeter, so you're not really worried about Embiid getting the ball to you know, one of those uh, perimeter guys uh, because you're just not worried about those shots going in right now, the way that the Sixers have been shooting. Um, you could also, you know, let Joel Embiid do his thing and then um, come in later in the shot clock if he's just sort of posting up and, and trying to dribble into his spot and things like that. So I, you could throw zone at him. We know that the Heat love to use a little bit of zone here and there. I, Eric Spolster is not one to stick to one scheme, right? He's going to throw a lot of different things. He's throwing a lot of diff- different things at James Harden right now like we were talking about earlier, he's going to throw a lot of different looks at Embiid. We know that is going to be true. But on the plus side, if you're the Heat, you can still trust Bam Adebayo uh, in a one-on-one situation. Like, like we, we don't know what Joel Embiid's going to look like, but 100% Joel Embiid, nobody stops him from Bam Adebayo to Draymond. Like, name, name your great defender. Nobody just stops Joel Embiid, but Bam's as good as anybody to put in front of him and, and body up with him and give him some trouble. So, yeah, I think it'll just be a lot of different looks. Well, it's. I want to ask you this about about this particular subject too, Wes. And and it's there. We've seen the memes. We heard the talk in the first round. Doc Rivers and and the coaching job. I mean, sticking <laughs> with DeAndre Jordan. We saw how bad he was in game one. Although I don't think DJ was too too bad in in game two. All things considered, I mean, he didn't play a ton. Only wound up playing thirteen minutes, but he was pretty active. Six points, five rebounds. Uh, had a couple of nice finishes at the rim on lobs. But looking at the mismatch, I would say, in, in the coaching styles and looking at, at the job Doc Rivers has done. When you're looking at this from a heat perspective, like, are, are you looking at it like we just have the better coaching staff, period? Like, there's nothing Doc will do that will phase us at this point? I mean, I thought that for a very long time before this series. I mean, I, <laughs> and that's nothing, that's not even anything against Doc. I actually thought Doc did a nice job in round one, but um, I, I, I've been pretty steady with this. I think Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. And I, I don't know that it's even very close when you kind of put all things into consideration. Um, 
and that's no disrespect to Steve Kerr, Nick Nurse, Greg Popovich, like name your coach. Like, I just think Spo's been doing it this for so long and such a high level um, that I, I just, there's not a series where I think that the Heat are going to ever be outcoached. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so with that in mind, look, um, I don't know what other options Doc Rivers have. I, I, I get like he's sort of fun to make fun of right now because he's so contentious with the Philadelphia media, which is maybe my favorite thing happening in the NBA right now is him being like, whether you like it or not, we're going to be starting DeAndre <laughs> yeah. to the reporters, which I, I, again, I think that's my favorite response from a coach of like the last decade. I just like the little punctuation, whether you like it or not. And it's like, okay. Yeah, come on, Doc. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you shouldn't like it either. Just look at the underlying numbers there, homeboy, right? But <laughs> exactly. But I like I I think that people have been a little unfair to Doc a little bit. Like, what option does he have? Well, like, I don't it's, you. it's yeah. DeAndre Jordan. Paul Millsap's unplayable, right? Like he's giving you just as many issues defensively um at this point in his career. Uh Paul Reed, like, I know that everybody wants him to play, but you know, he's got foul problems. He was okay uh from a fouling perspective in game two, but um, you know, when Doc says, like, if we start Paul Reed, he's going to foul out in the first half. He's not wrong, you yeah, know? Yeah. And so um, I just really don't know what the other option is. I, I've heard, hey, just play small, go small. That's like a, you know, break glass in case of emergency. I, I don't know that you can expect, like, Niang and, and Tobias Harris to basically be your centers for 48 minutes. I, I just don't know that that's a feasible option. You've got to have different looks. Uh, and so... I don't really know where else Doc Rivers is supposed to turn right now. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I mean, but they have, you know, they're basically using five spots on centers and none of them behind Joel are are playable as in being reliable. You mentioned Paul Reed did not look great in game two, especially on the defensive end. The Heat were trying to, you know, pick out that matchup and anytime he was uh, on the pick and roll and switched, he got burnt and Bam was was killing him down low too anytime, anytime he wanted to. And so I think... They're stuck in this position where you mentioned going small. That's one thing we just, I think from a Sixers perspective, people were just like, just try something, right? Because we all felt like game two almost had to be this kitchen sink affair that you're like, we're going to throw everything we possibly can at the heat in order to get a win here and, and, you know, give ourselves a decent chance if the potential MVP gets back in the lineup in game three or four. And people just didn't see that. And and looking at the roster construction of the Sixers, I'm with you too. And, And I've mentioned this before on the network that, Daryl Morey has to take some blame too if the Sixers flame mm-hmm. out at this point because you you look at that trade that they made. The reports were that he was hesitant to get rid of Thibel, included Seth Curry instead. Looking back in hindsight, that was the wrong move because the Sixers definitely could be using Seth's forty percent shooting from outside. But looking at the the roster construction and how things are, yeah, like you like you said, they're not that deep. And and given the fact of how bad they looked without Joel on the floor. It's like, would the Sixers have even made the play-in if if, if uh, they don't have Embiid? So there's a lot of questions about this squad potentially going into an early offseason where when they made that Harden deal, it was, in my eyes, it was for Philly. It was, you know, championship or bust at that point. Yeah. Um, Wes, we'll, we'll wrap up here. I just wanted to ask you now going into game three, again, like you mentioned that the comments from Doc is that Joel still has some hurdles he needs to clear. Don't know yet if he's going to be able to play. That's on two fronts, not only with the orbitable injury, but also the uh, mild concussion as well. So again, we don't know at the time of this recording whether he is going to play, although we've heard conflicting reports that, uh, particularly from John Clark of NBC Sports, uh, Philly saying, hey, he's, his sources are saying that things are looking good for Joel to return. But let's assume he isn't on the court. Do you give the Sixers any shot at winning game three, just given the fact they'll be at home? hopefully get some more bounces and, and the shooters look better in terms of Niang and, and Danny Green. Like, do you think Philly has 
any opportunity to win game three <laughs> if Joel's not not on the court? Um, any chance? Yeah. I mean, I guess there's always the opportunity for them to make like 55% of their threes and just like kind of go crazy with some crazy sort of performance there. But I would be really, really surprised. Like if they do win game three, they will be stealing game three for some crazy reason. There's just at this point, I I don't know that Miami gets outplayed in a game three if Joel Embiid isn't uh, participating. Um, and before we go, I just want to say like, it's a real bummer that Joel Embiid is not playing mm-hmm. in this series because it. I was so excited to watch the matchup with Embiid versus Bam and just the physicality of him versus basically the entire Heat roster and everything that was going on. Uh, I thought it was going to be a fascinating X's and O's series, just a, a, a bunch of storylines that are really cool between the Jimmy Butler stuff and um, you know P.J. Tucker and James Harden and all that kind of stuff. Like There was so much going for it. Um, and now it just feels like it might as well. Like if there were an NBA TV series, this would be it. it it's just so, yeah. uh, it's just a bummer <laughs> that Embiid's not a part of this, uh, because he's also one of my favorite players to watch, um, uh, and, and, and talk to. So, um, just wanted to say that, like, even I think uh, if you're a heat fan, I guess you're excited about this, but also from the Miami heat perspective, like it's just going to be another reason why people can use excuses, um, to dismiss what it is that the heat have done this season. And I really, I can't even blame them because if Embiid was part of this, it's a series. I don't know who wins this series. Um, but the fact that Embiid isn't playing, I just, I think this, I said it after game one, man. I was just like, this series is over. Yeah. Like I, I, this is over. Like, I don't even care if Embiid comes back game three or game four, because you can't just give a team like the heat two games in a series and expect the Sixers to win four out of five or whatever it's going to end up being that they have to do. So um, it sucks, but, um, and it sucks for the Sixers because you're right. They make the hardened deal. With, uh, with a huge goal in mind of going all in. I said after the trade that the Sixers were the team to beat in the East. Uh, I also think, like everybody, that we would see a different version of James Harden, so I started to retract from that comment as the season went on. But um, still, it would have been fun. It would have been interesting. They had a chance, uh, and now it just feels like they're going into an offseason uh, way sooner than they probably expected. Yeah, and, and the funny part there, Wes, is is looking at it. Like, I, I remember going into the first round of the playoffs. I was like, hey, I'm a legit for the first time in years. I'm legitimately excited to see all the first round matchups. I thought maybe we'd see a lower seed get through. Didn't see that obviously happen. And going into the second round and, you know, hearing that Joel got hurt pretty much well the day after uh, the game six win against the Raptors. But looking at that, like, I was like, damn, Boston, Milwaukee, that's going to be great. Like, just great basketball, too. Mm-hmm high level teams playing. And I thought the same thing with, with Philly and, and Miami. I'm like, I, I'm with you. I thought it was going to go six or seven, most likely seven. I had no clue who's going to win the series. And then not only for Sixers fans, but I just feel like for basketball fans, not being able to see these two teams at their best kind of crappy all, all the way around. You know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, like you said, there's no Kyle Lowry either. And people like to watch him. It's just, you wish that injuries weren't a part of the game. Unfortunately, they are. Um, but they've totally sucked the fun out of this series, in my opinion. Yeah, and and then that's kind of the downside of of the playoffs the last couple of years. And and again, we're seeing what yeah. the Bucks are doing without without Chris Middleton there, so they're able to do it. But again, you lose Joel, that's like that's like Milwaukee losing Giannis. That's like right. the, the Warriors losing Steph. You know what I mean? So again, very tough for the Sixers to come back from. Who knows what's going to happen though? Maybe Tyrese goes off for Tyrese Maxey goes off for thirty. We actually see a hardened twenty five point game, and the Sixers somehow pull out a game three win. Uh, Wes, want to thank you for taking the time out to to join me on this. Would love to do this again. I, I'm assuming we're not going to do it again if it's a sweep but maybe going into a possible <laughs> game seven would love to have you back on for another episode then of course thanks man
All right, I appreciate it. That's Wes Goldberg. You can catch his work on the Locked On Network. He covers the heat there. Also uh, has some recent work done in the Ringer, Miami Herald, and used to work for the Mercury News covering the Golden State Warriors as well. That'll do it for this episode. Sean will be back with the Talking About podcast to wrap up Friday's game. Hopefully we do see a Sixers win, and we'll be back with you again on Monday with our live stream. Also, don't forget to check us out there at Liberty underscore Ballers on Twitter. Thank <laughs> you.